Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thanks to Mick Delivery. Oh, look at that. How good did that sound? Like in sync, 508 on SENZ's Run Home with Stephen McIver. Don't forget the Macca's Menorah in just a moment. Laurie Horish, our Macca's feature interview. David Morales before 6 o'clock in motorsport. And we'll do a bit of surfing after 6 with Ben Kennings. Okay, 24-17 at the moment. It's under two minutes to go between Baltimore and Cincinnati. Cincinnati 24, Baltimore 17. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Laurie Horish joins us now from ESPN Australia and New Zealand, the NFL Brecky Show. Hey, bud, thanks for hanging on. Great to be joining you. Hey, mate, I'm I, well. Thanks. I, I am a. I love Wild Card Weekend. Well, this is ridiculously Super Card Wild Weekend. One thing that struck me, and I had thought, and I said maybe naively about a week ago, I thought the Vikings were a real dark horse to go deep, and then the Giants go and beat them thirty-one twenty-four. What went down today? I think when we look at that contest, there's a bit of a stylistic matchup that people thought, oh, you know, the Brian Dayball-led Giants feature a defensive coordinator. The coaching staff he put together, Wink Martindale, he loves to blitz the quarterback. He loves to get after the quarterback, um, really dial up a lot of exotic pressures, which basically just means sending defenders from all over the place (laughs) to try and harass the quarterback. They actually contained that approach today. Um, They didn't go all out. This wasn't one of his most wild uh, expeditions as a defensive coordinator, but I think the story is the offense. Daniel Jones played mistake-free football. This may have been his finest performance, 24 for 35, over 300 yards, no interceptions, a couple of touchdown passes. And then on the ground, he's, he's you know, 78 yards. He outrushes Saquon Barkley on the day, not on a yards per carry basis, but on a total yards. He was a situational problem um, all across the field. The it was a litany of sideline passes, the chemistry with his wide receiving core, an unheralded wide receiving core, the likes of Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins, Hodgins, Richie James. These are not household names, but the chemistry, the pinpoint accuracy, the placement on some of these throws to the sideline was fantastic. They played with composure. And look, for the Minnesota Vikings, this is a tale of just not close, but not close enough. I think for Kirk Cousins in that final play, You need eight yards on fourth down and you're passing short of the sticks. You're throwing the ball high so that your receiver, TJ Hawkinson, can't get his feet down and make a move even short of the the kind of line of gain there. Situationally not sound. And ultimately, I think that the New York Giants were deserving victors. Wow. I mean, when was the the last time the Giants were in a a Super Bowl? This is their first playoff victory since that Super Bowl run with Eli Manning in 2011. Obviously, had the one in 2007 as well. But this is the the, the franchise's first playoff postseason success in over a decade. And the credit Daniel Jones playing playoff uh, playing career best football, Saquon Barkley making plays and explosive work there. They're getting contributions on the defensive side of things. I thought Adoree Jackson, the cornerback, did a really stellar job up against Justin Jefferson, who is the best wide receiver in the league, in my opinion. Um, so I think credit to a whole bunch of contributors off the board and that coaching staff. Brian Dayball, for me, is the coach of the year, revamping that roster. They are playing with house money at this stage. That doesn't mean they're not going to try and go in and kick the door down on the Philadelphia Eagles, yeah. very heated division rivals next week. 
but a, a really truly sensational debut coaching season so far from Dave. Okay, so they were able to. They didn't do what you thought they would do against the Vikings. They adjusted the <laughs> way they played. So now they play Philadelphia, who have been ridiculously good all year. Well, ninety nine point nine percent of the year. Do they have the capacity to beat Philadelphia in the next round? I think they do. I think they do. Look, it's not going to be easy. This Philadelphia Eagles team, um, they have a stellar offensive line up front. So pressuring Jalen Hurts isn't as easy as just sending body after body after body. They're smart. They're talented. They have a man from our region of the world, Jordan Mailata, who represents not just Australia, but he proudly represents Polynesian community as well, Samoan community. Um, he's on the, the franchise left tackle on the edge, protecting Jalen Hurts' blind side. They can disrupt because they're well-coached, they're well-disciplined. You can back play, I mentioned Adoree Jackson and some of the other defensive backs to play tight coverage on the litany of receiving, the second time we use litany today, the wide array of receiving weapons that Jalen Hurts gets to work with in Philadelphia. But Philadelphia will be deserving favourites, I think. The one thing that we've seen from the Eagles is a time when they've had some personnel out, you have been able to run against them. And if they can lean on not just Saquon Barkley, who looked explosive today, but attacking the edges with Daniel Jones's running ability, which has been so well weaponized this year, they're a threat. They, they will, there's no pressure on the Giants at this point. They are playing with house money, yeah. and that's a dangerous position to be in when you're up against a division rival that you would love to spoil the party on. You interviewed Jordan Mailata recently. Am I right in saying he is still the bodyguard for Jalen Hurts? Yeah, well, luckily they have five very talented bodyguards, but he is, I mean, him, I think he and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, really the faces of that offensive line. He's done uh, Christmas albums recently. If you don't know, Jordan Mailata has a phenomenal singing <laughs> voice. He was on the Masked Singer over in the US, truly wow. the, the voice of an angel at 360-odd pounds, <laughs> six foot seven, six foot. Like, this is a ridiculous specimen we're talking about here. But, yeah, he has become um, very much ingrained in that locker room wow. culture. He's... He is an amazing ambassador for the NFL in this part of the world. And the Philadelphia Eagles have to be so, so pleased with how their investment in him as a seventh-round pick, how he took to coaching, how he took to getting his feet grounded in the NFL, um, despite his ridiculous physical talent, obviously where he was from a growth and trajectory standpoint, humility and a whole bunch of discipline, the real difference makers for him as he's ascended to be one of the best left tackles in the league. And even with a $64 million contract, one of the best value deals across the NFL. Well, particularly with you getting the uh, the musical exploits of a Polynesian Pavarotti, right? <laughs> hey, Absolutely. Yeah. Talk about dual threats at quarterback. You've got a dual threat at offensive line. Actually, just quickly, I know we've, we're stuck on this game and there's more to talk about. Just quickly, I'm noticing uh, QBs running a lot more. Am I am I seeing things or is that has have I missed a bit here? I see a lot of QBs doing a lot of running. No, I think it's something that quite often the, the NFL um, – in, in decades past, the NFL would almost dictate to college, hey, this is what we want at the college ranks. This is what we want to see. Um, we want to see pro-style quarterbacks who stand in the pocket, just tall as a statue, read out, go through their progressions, and it's not really about the create after the fact. We want a pro-style quarterback. And in the last kind of five or so years, even a bit, you can go further a little bit, the last decade, we've seen the kind of the, there's been a change that's almost reverse flow. College is putting these players in position to succeed um, to with their athletic talents, as, you know, with their legs and their explosive speed, as well as their arms. And NFL schemes have been more open to adapting to that. There was always the kind of the the theory that, hey, running quarterbacks are going to get injured more often, you're exposing them. But if you're able to run cleverly, smartly, find your way outside, out of bounds and find your way um, to the ground um, and, and get yourself down and out of contact, you can avoid some of those big injuries 
and it's just such a backbreaker for NFL defenses. They can have the play completely wadded up well, we're guarded, we've got everything taken away, and if this athletic potential is there to create second-phase plays, that's what teams are looking for yeah. now. Can I love you create it. us something after the first one breaks yeah. down? I love it. I, I, I totally love it. I didn't love the idea that the Bills almost got beaten up by the Dolphins, uh, 34-31, but I read turnovers uh, were almost extremely costly for the Bills. This was wasted opportunities early for the Bills. They had a few deep completions that uh, were deep incompletions. It should have been hauled in, balls, you know, going down to the ground and not able to, receivers not able to secure through the catching process. Um, and Josh Allen threw the ball away a couple of times. He had a couple of over-aggressive shots downfield that weren't on the money and, and kind of stalled what should have been scoring drives to not just make it a two-score lead for the Bills early, but a three- or a four-score lead. Credit to the Miami Dolphins. The defense played... Um, one of their finer performances. I know they gave up 30-odd points, but um, they really did in situational areas get great pressure on Josh Allen, lots of QB hits, lots of sacks, disrupted his schedule, and yet played discipline enough behind them that when he got off schedule and he can create because he's such an amazing physical um, specimen on the run, how he's able to damage with his legs, not just his ridiculously strong right <laughs> arm. They played strong, disciplined football there, kept it contained, and forced some errors, which will be, look, this was not a clean performance from the Bills. This was sloppy. Uh, it's probably the perfect word to define it. And other AFC teams, most notably, I'd say the Kansas City Chiefs, would be looking at that going, there's some holes there for us yeah, to explore. Yeah, you beat me to it because I wonder whether then that now puts a question mark over the Bills as to how far they go. I think look, the, the top-end talent, um, what they have, the pass rush, what they have, we mentioned Josh Allen, but with the likes of, you know, Stefan Diggs at wide receiver, Dawson Knox, who is on a scoring run as we've got a huge play um, in the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, did Baltimore, I think, game about to, did Bo oh, no, it's it, done. We're about, it's done. The, it's this done, the final. this is the heartache of what? This, we're doing live calls here all of a sudden. This is the heartache and heartbreak of wildcard weekend. But yeah, back to the Bills for a minute. Um, they, <laughs> go for it, no, go for it, man, go for back. it. But I, I think what we saw with, with the Bills is they look that game-breaking talent still exists, but the weaknesses that, that are ever-present um, with that offensive line that isn't as good as it's been in previous years, I think that, that exposes that pressure to Josh Allen. That is something um, that you have to look at and say, look, if you do have a talented pass rush, if you do have match-up weapons you think you can deploy and send after Josh Allen, that they're not going to be able to withhold pressure as well as some other teams in the playoff picture. Okay, Joe Burrow and Cincinnati final, 24-17. They go through. They've been to a Super Bowl before. Uh, they haven't, haven't been convincing, though, have they? No, and I think huge storyline from this is that this is a gritty, gutsy win. It's never easy playing a divisional opponent for the third time of the season and feel like you've got anything new to show them. They're so familiar. Um, but three offensive linemen, starting offensive linemen, have been injured and lost so far um, for the Bengals in the last couple of weeks. We saw um, Jonah Williams, their left tackle, leave today. Um, we've already seen Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins um, ruled out um, in previous weeks. So now the protection for Joe Burrow is being lessened. It was it had gone from really bad last year to decent this year, and now we're seeing whole we're seeing dings on that offensive front again. This means Burrow is going to have to play very clever. He's going to have to be slippery in the pocket, and I would imagine as we see the Bengals move on, as they make their they're pushed deeper into this uh, this playoff picture. Um, Burrow's going to be getting that ball out quick. He's going to get it back to his drop and firing that thing out of there because that the gains they had made to set a more stable foundation for him in front of him on that line have been 
well and truly pieced apart over the last few weeks through just look some poor luck for that Bengals franchise at this time of year. Okay, um, it was a bit of a record, NFL record, or it was in the record box. You had 27-0 down, you go out and win. And the Jags, with Trevor Lawrence, uh, go and beat the Chargers 31-30. You know what? I'm actually happy for the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence, considering what happened last season, that they've made it, made it to the playoffs. But does it say anything about them going forward? I think what it says is that you know you had a talented quarterback already. Trevor Lawrence is going to throw himself into not we're not going to say he's Patrick Mahomes, but he's going to throw himself into the mix with the rest of the ridiculously talented young quarterbacks in the AFC. That box is ticked, but what we saw yesterday was ridiculous toughness. Like the, to, to overcome the mental shots that that would have been to throw away four interceptions in your playoff debut in the first half, respond even before halftime, before you can get to the locker room, respond with a touchdown drive, and then back it up with four more consecutive five total scoring drives to win this thing. That is mental fortitude at a young player, as you mentioned, a truly rough opening uh, rookie season under Urban Meyer, really, really <laughs> dysfunctional state forgettable, of the franchise. Forgettable at really Oh, I, I think they'd like to be. They'd like it to be far more forgettable than it is. It will go down as one of the worst tenures of a head coach in NFL history. For him, for what you hear from the locker room, for the presence that he took, the maturity that he showed at that young age, and how he's grown this year with an adult in the room in Doug Peterson at head coach, uh, the steps they've been able to take. I mentioned the Giants were kind of playing with house money. True for the Jaguars as well. It doesn't mean they're not going to come out fighting against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes next week. But this is, again, a team that's ahead of the curve on where we might have expected them. And there's really promising things to come for that franchise. They've, they've answered the biggest question in the NFL. Do you have a franchise quarterback? Now they get to continue to build around him with draft picks and free agency assets. Okay, 49ers beat the Seahawks behind Brock Purdy. Uh, Jimmy Jr. out there and even their first choice choice pick not there I, I'm just going to leave that I like the 49ers I'm just going to leave it at that because I want to talk about my team and I'll be selfish and indulgent and talk about the Cowboys placing the playing the Bucks tomorrow now the Bucks beat him in the opening round of the opening match of the season and and Brady is 7-0 and against the Cowboys career does Brady do it again because the Cowboys last regular season match was horrible it was, and I'll confess this despite all journalistic objectivity. I too, like you, barrack for the team based yes. in North Texas. And said, yes, and while that's an enthusiasm that I appreciate down the line, I'm not sure you're going to be too happy with what I say next. I'm very fearful for the Cowboys' performance against the Buccaneers. I don't think it's a good matchup. I think uh, the, the, the Buccaneers will know, yeah, despite the Cowboys not being a great run defense, we're not a good run offense. So let's just scratch that off the board. <laughs> Where they can take advantage is the array of wide receiver weapons that the Buccaneers have. Um, from Mike Evans, rejuvenated in the last few weeks. Chris Godwin, consistently performing. Julio Jones, still capable of beating you downfield. And Russell Gage, if healthy, very sneaky, a clever, crafty wide receiver. With the losses the Cowboys have had at their outside cornerback spot opposite Trevon Diggs, we're talking Tom Brady, cerebral, punishing, clinical, cold. He will know where that weakness is, and I guarantee early on he will be targeting it, and he will say, we will stop doing that when you show us that you can halt us. So I think off the bat, there's the matchup you're worried about. For Dak Prescott, I, this is a tough defensive front. It hasn't been at the tier that we've seen from the, uh, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in recent seasons. But the Cowboys, as you mentioned, last time out, offensive line couldn't run block, couldn't get anything going with Ezekiel Elliott or Tony Pollard. If we're sitting with Dak Prescott having to sit back there, um, 
and and orchestrate this off his own right arm. He's smart enough and talented enough, but you don't want to get one-dimensional a team against a team that is healthy again on the back end, likes a Carlton Davis back in the mix, and have Antoine Winfields of the world ready to ball hawk. And, and look, for whether all the interceptions have been Dak Prescott's fault or not, and I don't think they have, I think that narrative is overblown. They have not taken care of the football recently. Very worrisome, very worrisome mm. um, matchup here for the Cowboys and then throw in the narrative around the pressure that really sits more on the Cowboys and the Bucks here with where the Bucks season has been, a losing record. Super Bowl aspirations aren't really widely viewed across the league for this team this year, um, whereas the Cowboys, I mean, if we talk about an embarrassing week, week 18 loss against Washington and then one and done, particularly if it's not overly close against the Buccaneers, there's going to be a lot of talk about that head coaching squad. Uh, oh, okay. So here's – okay. So, all right, thanks for that. Right, here's your yes, no, and I want you to be a good journalist, say yes or no, all right? Does mm-hmm. Tom Brady have plugs in his hair? Oh, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if it's plugs, but you've got to feel this. It might have been some assistance You, you could have said, <laughs> see, you, you broke the rule. You didn't say yes. And does Mike, if the Cowboys lose, Mike McCarthy gone? I do think so. Laurie Horish from the ESPN Australia New Zealand NFL Bricky Show. Thanks for your time, mate. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the final game. <laughs> and I hope for both our sakes, I'm terribly wrong on that call. Yeah, baby. Thanks, mate.